You know, um, a few weeks ago, I opened my email one day, and I had an email from my wife, Brenda. And so I clicked on it and opened it, and inside there was just a link. So without even thinking, I clicked on the link, and up came this site, and all I could say was, good kugamuga. I mean, I know my wife after 37 years of marriage, and I knew my wife did not send that site to me. And so it got worse because within a little while, we began getting emails and phone calls from all of her friends who are on her email list who had also gotten the site from Brenda. And uh, Brenda, my wife, I can't tell you how embarrassed she was, but we all know what happened, right? Somebody hacked her email and used it to send this thing out. And later on, Brenda and I were talking uh, that evening, and I said, you know, I said, what possesses people to do this? I mean, what possesses people to sit around and just do mean, nasty stuff like this? It's like my assistant Craig said. He said, if you're smart enough to do stuff like this, you should be smart enough to get a job where they pay you to be that smart. <laughs> so I agree with Craig. Now, we're studying the book of Genesis together here at McLean Bible Church. And I want us to look at a comment that God made about the human race in Genesis chapter 8, right after Noah's flood, that answers the question we asked. Remember, our question is, what possesses people to do wrong stuff? And folks, what possesses you and me to do wrong stuff? Well, we're going to answer that question from the Word of God, and then we're going to bring it all forward from Genesis 8 to today, and we're going to talk about what difference does that make in your life and my life. So here we go. Genesis 8, a tiny bit of review. Remember, we saw how Noah escaped the great flood by riding it out on the ark, and how after the water had receded, Noah came out of the ark and he gave an animal sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. Now that's where we pick up the story, Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The Bible says, And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, that is, of the sacrifice. And the Lord said to himself, He said, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. This is why people hack other people's emails. But you know, this is not the first time God has ever said this about man. In fact, if we go back two chapters to Genesis chapter 6, this is the exact same reason that God gives why he sent Noah's flood in the first place. Genesis 6 verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. You say, well, I'm, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, there seems to be an inconsistency here. I mean, if, if man's evil inclination is the reason God gives why he sent the flood, then how can it also be the reason why God says that he'll never send another flood? Well, that's a really good question. And the answer, my friends, is that after the flood, God decides that he's going to take pity on creatures like us who can't help ourselves. God resigns himself to the fact that man is hopelessly corrupt 
and that left to himself, man is doomed to morally decline from whatever height God might ever lift man up to. And you know, it's interesting, this is exactly what happened after the flood. After the flood, there were only eight people in the world. There was Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives, and they were all godly people. God started over with eight godly people, and yet, within a few years, as we're going to see next week, one of Noah's three sons had polluted himself with lewd behavior, and within a few generations, Genesis 11, Noah's descendants were once again rebelling against God at the Tower of Babel. And as God said, the worst part about it all is that man can't help himself. What did God say? Genesis 8:21. The inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Genesis 6:5. The thoughts of men's heart are evil all the time. Sin is such a part of the warp and the woof of human nature that no matter what judgment God sends on man, even a catastrophic worldwide life-ending flood, nothing can, nothing ever has, and nothing ever will change man's inclination to evil. In fact, if you remember, when we were looking a couple weeks ago at the covenant that God made with Noah after the flood, one of the things that God instituted after the flood was civil government. There was no civil government before the flood. And the reason God instituted civil government was to try to put a lid on man's evil behavior by civil government, passing laws against that evil behavior by civil government, punishing that evil behavior. But hey, friends, all of us who've watched Law and Order, we know it doesn't work. And God knows this too. God knows that trying to change people from the outside in with floods and punishments and laws and judgments, that this is a losing battle. God understands that he had to make a way to change man from the inside out. And this is what the plan of salvation in Jesus Christ is all about. Friends, it's the new covenant. It's an inside-out plan of salvation. Listen, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with people. I will put my law in their minds, inside of them. And I will write it on their hearts, inside of them. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And I will put a new spirit within him, within people, and I will remove from them their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. Now, when God talks about writing the law on our heart and putting it in our mind, what he's referring to is putting the Holy Spirit inside of us as part of the, his plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And when he talks about removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, he's talking about the internal working of the Holy Spirit inside of us overcoming sin from the inside out and changing us into new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, from the inside out. God offers us an inside out salvation, which is what we need. I'll never forget one of the most significant days in my life. Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I was a student at UNC 
And one of the most significant days in my life was the day that I realized that I needed something to change me on the inside, that I was irreparably broken on the inside, that another course in school wasn't going to fix me, and another book wasn't going to fix me, and another beer wasn't going to fix me, and another party wasn't going to fix me, that nothing from the outside was going to fix me, that I needed a radical internal transformation. Major day in my life. And folks, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did for me when I gave my life to Him. He put the new covenant into effect inside of me. And this is the great news of the Bible, that the new covenant goes to into effect inside of each one of us the instant that we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So let's summarize, shall we? And what have we seen so far? Well, we've seen that God said, Genesis 8:21, that the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. That God said, Genesis 6, 5, the inclination of man's heart is only evil all the time. That committing sin comes natural to all of us. And that's why God made an inside-out salvation for the human race. Praise the Lord, huh? Yeah, that's good news. Now, Jesus compared the salvation plan in Christ that God offers us to yeast, which once you stick it inside a lump of dough, Jesus said, it completely transforms that lump of dough from the what? Inside out. And friends, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus in a real and personal way as your Savior, I don't know what it is you've been trying to use to change yourself from the outside in, whether it's good works, religious activity, going to church, trying to be a good person, keeping the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter. None of it's going to work. It can't because the inclination of our heart is evil all the time and nothing from the outside is changing that. Folks, we need yeast supernatural yeast. We need God's plan of salvation in Christ that changes us from the inside out. So if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, I want to urge you, give up all that outside in stuff. Not going to do you a bit of good and trade it in for the one thing that will make a difference, the plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, that's as far as we're going to go in our passage today because it's time for us to ask our most important question. And all of you at Loudoun, and all of you at Prince William, and at Bethesda, and down in the Edge community, and around the world, the internet campus, and here at Tyson's, we know our question, yes? Yes? Okay, you're not inspiring me with huge confidence here, but uh, you're going to redeem yourselves. I know you are. So, are you ready? Here we go now. Come on, everybody. One, two, three. Oh, that was good. You say, Lon, so what? What difference does any of this make to my life today? All right, well, I want you to listen to a few verses with me. Let's listen together. Here we go. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart of man, God says, is deceitful above all things and desperately, some translations translate this word incurably, wicked. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3. The hearts of men are full of evil. 
Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, the hearts of men are fully given to do evil. And finally, Mark chapter 7, here in this passage, the rabbis are criticizing Jesus because he and his disciples don't go through the elaborate hand-washing ritual that the rabbis had set up. And the rabbi said, if you don't do this and you eat, you're going to defile yourself on the inside. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, do you not see that whatever goes into a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it doesn't go into his heart, only his stomach. Jesus said, it's what comes out of man that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, Jesus says... Come evil thoughts, sexual impurity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. Not a pretty picture. Jesus said all these things come from inside man's heart. And this is what defiles men. You say, Balan, I'm a Christian now. I'm born again now. Well, good. That's great. But friends, that doesn't mean your sinful heart went away. It didn't go away. Folks, even as followers of Christ, our sinful hearts are alive and well on planet Earth. And they are just as rebellious and they are just as unruly as they have ever been. Listen, even as born again followers of Christ, our hearts are still capable of doing the most despicable behavior imaginable. They are still, Genesis 8.21, inclined to evil. They are still, Jeremiah 17.9, desperately wicked. And if you don't believe it, listen to what the Apostle Paul said, Romans chapter 7, and he's writing this as a believer about himself. Listen to what he said. He said, verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful flesh. For, Paul says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I keep doing is not the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. For I joyfully concur, Paul says, with God's law in my inner being. Now that I'm a follower of Christ, I want to do what God wants me to do, Paul says. But I see another law at work in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of sin. Now, does the Apostle Paul struggle between wanting to do what's right and so often being overpowered by his own sinful nature? Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. Because it's the fight every single one of us as a follower of Christ has every single day. And this explains why we eat too much, why we drink too much, why we spend too much, why we gossip too much, why we criticize other people too much, why we lie too much and scheme too much, why we act selfishly too much, why we lust over women too much and go to places on the internet we shouldn't go too much, and why we speed on the beltway too much. And we read a verse like John 10.10 where Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And we say to ourselves, 
man, I don't know. Jesus must be talking about somebody else other than me because I'm not living an abundant Christian life. If anything, I'm living a defeated Christian life. I mean, if I'm a Christian, then how come I can't live the Christian life? I mean, maybe, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I'm not even really a Christian. You say, Solon, is this why you brought us here today? To depress us? Is this why you brought us here today? To discourage us and beat us up? No. I brought you here today to teach you how to live the Christian life correctly. But friends, we will never be able to live the Christian life correctly until we begin at the right place. And the place we must begin is with the acknowledgement just like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, that even as Christians, we cannot live the Christian life. As Paul said in Romans 7, 18, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot, in my own energy, carry it out. Now, let's stop and say, can you accept that assessment of yourself and of your heart? I mean, it's true, whether you accept it or not. But are we honest enough with ourselves that we can say, yes, this is true in my heart? It is everything you say and more. You don't even know what lives in my heart. And yes, I can't, I, you know, I go down every day in flames trying to live the Christian life. I can't do it. Can we, can we accept that? Because if we can, then friends, I can teach you how to live the Christian life right. If we can start there. So. How do we live the Christian life correctly? Because don't forget, most of us were taught to live the Christian life incorrectly. Galatians 2, 5, 16 says, If we live by the Spirit, let me explain what I mean, we will not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. The Bible says we have to live the Christian life by the Spirit, but most of us were taught to live the Christian life by the energy of the flesh. Let me explain that. When I came to Christ 40 years ago, some well-meaning person handed me the wheel, the navigator's wheel. Maybe many of you have seen this. And if you see, there are four spokes coming out on this wheel. There's Bible study, prayer, witnessing, and fellowship. And I was told as a young Christian, Lon, this is what you do. You know, you do Bible study, you do prayer, you do witnessing, and you do fellowship, and you do them with everything you've got, and you stay faithful to them, and the result will be that you will live a vibrant, victorious Christian life. So I tried it, and I tried it, and I tried it, and it didn't work. And you know why? Because it can't work. Now, don't get me wrong. Bible study, prayer, witnessing, and fellowship... These are all great things to do. These are important things to do. But, and friend, if you don't get a single thing else I said today, you get this next sentence. You ready? You walk out of here with this sentence. Done correctly. Bible study, prayer, witnessing, and fellowship are the overflow of a spirit-filled life, not the cause of one. The cause of a spirit-filled life is the Holy Spirit Himself. Bible study is not the source of power in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is. Prayer, witnessing, and fellowship are not the source of power in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is. But just listen to so many Christians talk when their Christian life is struggling. Listen to what they say. They say, oh, it's not going so well for me spiritually. 
Uh, I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to fellowship more. And friends, whether they realize what they're saying or not, these people are saying, I got to go try to live the Christian life by human effort more. It may be religious human effort, maybe good human effort. It's still human effort. Folks, there are millions of Christians around the world doing this every day, waiting for some kind of spiritual wiffle dust to fall on them from heaven and all of a sudden give them the victorious Christian life. But that wiffle dust never falls and it's never going to fall. You know why? Because the Christian life is a supernatural life. It's a life that is marked by supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace and patience and gentleness and goodness, the supernatural fruits of the Spirit that the supernatural Holy Spirit produces in us when we are living by His power. And we can have this from day one that we come to Christ. You know... um, When I first came to Christ, I led so many people to Christ the first year I was a Christian. I mean, I had such a vibrant Christian life the first year I was a Christian. And then at the end of that year, I I went to seminary. And they said to me in seminary, they said, you you can't possibly have that kind of Christian life yet. You're not mature. You need Greek. You need Hebrew. You need theology. You you need church history before you can have a Christian life like that. So I, I, I listened to them. What did I know? I'm a year old in the Lord. I figure they knew what they were talking about, and it ruined me for 10 years. 10 years. Don't tell me that you can't have a vibrant, spirit-filled life from day one of walking with Christ, because that doesn't depend on Bible knowledge, Greek, Hebrew, theology, or anything. It depends on the Spirit of God being allowed to fill and empower your life, and you can do that from day one that you're a Christian. And up to day 650,000. You say, well, Lon, God bless you up there, man. But how do you do this? I mean, this is all wonderful theory. But how do you do this? I mean, practically, every day, how do we do this? Well, let me tell you. Galatians 2.20. Here we go. And then we're done. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And it is no longer I in my own human energy, who live, but Christ, in the person of the Holy Spirit inside of me, lives in me. And the life that I now live in this body, as a Christian, watch, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I live the Christian life by faith. What does that mean? This is how we do it. What does that mean? Well, follow my logic for a minute, okay? All right. We began our Christian lives, if you truly are born again, by faith. We all agree with that? Right, right. We trusted the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross to do for us what we could not do for ourselves by faith. To pay for our sin and to reconcile us to God, things we could never do with human effort or energy. Does everybody agree with that? Yes. Okay. Now let's go all the way to the end, to the end of our Christian life. All right. We die here on earth. Well, getting to heaven is also going to be by faith. You don't know where heaven is. I don't know where heaven is. I don't know how to get myself there. You don't know how to get yourself there. We're going to have to, at the end of our Christian life, 
by faith, trust the Lord Jesus to come get us and take us to heaven and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Faith means trusting God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, we started the Christian life that way. Agreed? We're going to end the Christian life that way. Agreed? Folks, why in the world would God change systems in the middle to a system of human effort and human works to live the Christian life? Why would he do that? Well, the answer is he doesn't. Paul said, what did he say? I live the Christian life by faith. It's by faith at the beginning. It's by faith in the middle. And it's by faith at the end. Paul said, I walk out of my house every day by faith, depending on the Holy Spirit to do for me that day what I cannot do for myself. And that is to give me the power I need moment by moment to subdue my sinful human nature so that I can do what I want to do and that's obey God that day. You know, my wife Brenda was telling me, uh, this is a couple weeks ago, that she woke up one morning at 4 a.m. And I was like, why in the world would you do that? And she said, well, I had an awful lot that day that, that, that I had to do. She said it was overwhelming. And she said, and so I lay there in bed at 4 o'clock and I said, you know, Lord Jesus, I can't do this. This is too much for me today. I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I got the energy, the strength, the stamina to make it through the day. And so, Lord you know what? I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to depend on you today. You give me the strength. You give me the wisdom. You give me the stamina. You, you live this day through me, Lord. You just carry me. And then she was telling me later in the evening, you know what? The day actually went really well. I asked her about it and she said, yeah, it was like I was being carried along by another power, like effortlessly. It wasn't like I even had to work hard to make the day work. Why? Because the power of the Spirit of God, because Brenda had asked him and yielded, the power of the Spirit of God was carrying her along all day. She wasn't living that day. The Holy Spirit was living that day through her. She's just a passenger in the car that day. You understand what I'm saying? And the Spirit was living that day in His power. You say, Lon, it can't be that simple. Why not? Why would God want to make living the Christian life hard. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's just most of us have been taught to do it wrong. So let me conclude and say, this is not just for new believers. You know, folks, those of us who've been Christians a long, long time, we forget this all the time because working in our own energy and flesh comes so naturally to us so many times, at least I will, I'll turn around and find myself going, working, and it's not working well, and God will have to go, hello, hello, what are you doing? I don't know. Lon, you're trying to do all this yourself in your own energy. That's not how you're supposed to live the Christian life. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to let me live it through you. Come on now. I don't know about you. I forget it all the time. And I've been a Christian 40 years. Look, we all need to be reminded of this. And so I have an assignment that I'd like to suggest to you this week. Here's my assignment. Take one area of your Christian life where you've been struggling to obey God. One area. And this week decide that you're not going out of your house every morning 
and try to beat this thing in your own energy and your own flesh. You know how we sometimes leave the house. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. No, 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 no. None of that. Instead, do what Paul did. Say, Lord Jesus, left to myself, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to get absolutely murdered today in this area of my life. But I'm going to turn it over to you. Let the Holy Spirit give me the power today not to look at that woman when she walks by, not to eat too much today, not to spend too much. Lord, you control my sinful nature today in this area. And I'm going to depend on you to do it. And then as the day goes along, every time you feel yourself getting weak, just say, Lord Jesus, I'm going down. Help me. Help me. What, even if you do it 50 times a day, who cares? Who cares? Listen, uh, this kind of moment-by-moment -moment reliance on the Holy Spirit requires a moment-by-moment -moment conversation between us and the Holy Spirit all day long. You know, a lot of us think the only time we're ever supposed to talk to God is when we have our quiet time. Who told you that? That's not what the Bible says. We should be talking to God all day long, every moment of the day. And then if while you're talking to him about something else, you hit this area where you start to sing, just say, excuse me, Lord, we'll come back to that. Help me. We'll come back. This is how we're to live our Christian experience, friends. You say, well, Lon, if I live it this way, will I be able to live a Christian life that's perfect? No. No, Jesus, my friends, as the Son of God, is the only person ever to live who could depend on the Holy Spirit 100% of the time, 100% of every situation in life. You can't do that. I can't do that. We're human. But I'll tell you what, living like this will give us a much more consistent Christian life and a much more enjoyable Christian life and a much more satisfying Christian life because we're living it right. And I'll tell you something else too. Your Bible study will get better. And your praying will get better. And your fellowship will get better. And your witnessing will get better. You know why? Because suddenly you're not doing all that in your human effort to try to earn God's approval. Now you're doing it as an overflow of the Holy Spirit filling your life because you're excited just to know the Lord. And He's motivating this in you. Try it. I promise you. You'll see what I mean. And once you try it in one area of life, then apply it to another one, and then another one, and then another one, until it becomes the habitual way you live the Christian life. Folks, let me close by saying, the Christian life lived correctly works. It works. We just got to live it correctly. And may God help us do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for talking to us today about real practicality. So many of us were taught to live the Christian experience incorrectly by well-meaning people. They weren't trying to harm us. Lord, they didn't know how to live it correctly either. Somebody told them how to live it wrong. And Father, I pray that you would take us here today and you would correct all that and teach us to do what Paul said, that we are to live it in the Spirit we are to live it by faith, depending on the Spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves and squash our sinful passions every day so we can do what we want, and that is obey God. Lord, help us with that. And help us not to forget it in the battles of life when the bullets are flying. Help us remember this is how we do it. 
Lord, change our lives because we were here today. Because we sat under the teaching of the Word of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And what did God's people say? Amen. Amen.